Hello, everybody, and welcome to Heads Together on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke, and my colleagues are Victoria Selman and Barry Forshaw. Hello, everybody. Let's start then. Well, let's dive straight into the books. How about um, we start with your books of the month, Barry? Well, the books I covered for um, the FT, which as we speak is in tomorrow's issue, I began with a book which is going to confuse a lot of people. It's in, right. in England, it's called Holmes, Margaret, and Poe. Do you know about this? Do you know yeah. about the book? Okay, in America, the book is called Holmes, Marple, and Poe. And it's about modern-day iterations of, you know, great detectives. However, you may well ask, Edgar Allan Poe is not a detective. He's a writer. So I did ask the publisher, why is this book not called Holmes, Marple, and Dupin? And I couldn't get an answer. But I thought, I don't know about you, Paul, I think they're thinking people know Holmes and Marple, but they probably don't know Poe's Auguste Dupin. Do you think that's the reason? Uh, You know what? I've had a few thoughts on this after we spoke because we've talked about this before. First of all, I didn't realise that the UK title had a different title to the American one. Um, But I think there's a couple of things here. One is that it could be this copyright issue. It could be that with Margaret rather than Marple. It could also be that she's a slightly sexier character in the books and that they're not entirely happy about that. I don't know if we can say that on air. Yes. Um, Because she's a very seductive Marple, the one in the book, which Jane Marple wasn't. (laughs) Right. And I remember when they when there was um, they did a collection of writers and asked them to write a story about Marple yeah. or a collection. There were incredibly strict rules about what you could and couldn't do. Yeah. You well, couldn't make brand, her a young woman, it? for instance. So that was yeah. part of it. But um, it is brand. If you think of the Ian Fleming estate as well, I mean, how carefully they control all of that. And you can understand it. You can. Yes. And to go. Yeah. Sorry, I, I kind of got off the point a bit early there because the other thing was the Dupin thing. I think anybody who reads. That kind of crime fiction knows who Dupin is. So I don't see that it will honestly be a problem. But I do wonder if they fancied the idea that also, as writers, that Poe had the drug problem and everything, and that that made him a sort of a sexier character to write about in a way. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So do we look at drug addiction as something sexy and racy or a bit pathetic? Uh, well, as a mother, I say a bit pathetic. Yes. But you know, Holmes, of course, was a was a drug addict. Yes, edge, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so far as I know, Jane Marple didn't take any mainline drugs. So far no. as I know, <laughs> hard to imagine it, isn't it? <laughs> but I did mention um, I mentioned a couple of uh, writers who you both know in in this column tomorrow. Um, Simon Mason's Oxford Set series mm. is really going from strength to strength. The latest one's Lost and Never Found, and Tim Sullivan's series about his his um, Autistic detective George George Cross, the teacher, is equally good. So they're on a roll, those two. So I was thinking, um, the, the books you mentioned there, um, Tim Sullivan and uh, what was the other one? Oh, yes, the Simon Mason. I think what they illustrate is that character is what does it. And mm. the characters, the detectives in those two books are really spectacularly well done. Yes. Yeah. They really get you bound into the story so that you want to know what happens with them going forward. Well, that has to be the case, though, doesn't it, with a series? I mean, you read it, mm, not absolutely. the story, but it is the character that gets you coming back each time. Well, the classic case for that is Raymond Chandler. Yeah. Try to describe the plot of any Raymond Chandler book, and you'll get lost quite quickly. But yes. boy, do you remember Philip Marlowe and the yeah, people he encounters. The, the, the dynamics of the plot are kind of slightly incidental. Which you couldn't, for a normal crime novel now, you couldn't get away with that. I mean, plot is obviously so important, but character is essential. As Dom Nolan always says to me, he says, you know, if you care enough about a character, it's a tragedy if they have a paper cut. 
But yeah. if you don't care, they yeah. can have their head lopped off and you just, <laughs> it's like, so what? <laughs> That's a very good phrase. It's like all the films that have illustrated, uh, have copied Hitchcock's Psycho. Mm. They don't seem to have realised that it's because we care about Janet Leigh. We yeah. wanted to take that money back. We yes. wanted to get out of the hole she's dug for herself. Yes. And you are really sorry when she takes that shower, aren't you? Mm. Yes, yes. All, the, all the rip-offs just take all the, um, the set-piece murders. Because it's all about plot, absolutely. Yeah. And so many thrillers now as well. I mean, they almost, like you say, feel like set pieces. Yes. And the character well, and just- that's going to get worse. If we're due for a, a, an onslaught of um, high concept, you mm. know, which is not a bad thing, but just if you're going to have a high concept, you really have to justify it by the end of the book. And yeah. sometimes that takes over everything else in the book. And if we're going to get more and more of those where the high concept becomes the thing, do you think we are? Well, frankly, I mean, I, I think that article in the bookseller. Do you think we are going to get more and more high concepts? I, I think we possibly are. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think writers are going to look at it and say, you know, I've got if I get one idea, and if mm. it does work, you know, mm. like Adrian McKinty with the chain. Yes. Honestly, don't think the chain is anywhere near the quality of his Irish writing, writing set in Ireland and the early books he wrote in America. But the thing is, that one sold, you know, phenomenally, mm. and so who but can blame him for doing it? But... If you look at something like Gillian McAllister, for example. So her last book, was it Wrong Place, Wrong Time? Was obviously that was a high concept book, but her next book was more standard, if you if you like, thriller. But high so, concept doesn't necessarily mean that you, the character, if you think of the best writer ever of high concept mm-hmm. novels, mm-hmm. can you guess who I mean? I know you're going to face Patricia Highsmith, am I right? No, I wasn't. No. Okay. Ira Levin, every okay. one of his books had a high concept, okay. a town in which all the women have been replaced by robots, yes. a mother giving birth to Satan's child, yes. but he he also wrote characters, and I think if those books had just been about the concept, they wouldn't have lasted, and they wouldn't have made a series of heavily yeah. grossing films, would they? Mm. So it goes back to the same point: it's always still about character, and oftentimes, I don't know if you guys find this, but with high concept novels, you pick it up because the concept is so brilliant, but it doesn't it doesn't hang together all the way through, and it almost becomes that's just the engine, that's just the drum that's being beaten, everything that, else. That's definitely the bit that worries me, yes. Mm. You know, and then you're right. investing a lot of time in a novel. So, you you know. And also you're right, you just made me think, Victoria, about the character, so Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Not from the concept, it's Rosemary you're on the side of. Mm. Nobody will believe her that something very yeah. strange is going on and you yeah. are totally on Rosemary's side. Yes. So it's character as much as the plot, isn't it? I mm. think so. I think, yeah, the two together, Absolutely. Do you know the other writers I chose? I chose Agnes Ravitan, who's a Scandinavian writer, um, and I, I picked um, Matsumoto's Point Zero, very good uh, crime. So it's very international. But the FT does remind me at intervals, we are an international newspaper. Mm. So although I cover English writers like you, Victoria, I have, yeah. to, cover, I have to cover the Japanese as well. Yes. <laughs> and, and I wanted to say something on... Um, the uh, Seisho Masimoto book as well, because I think that's that's a lovely read. But last year, he wrote one called Tokyo Express, or rather, these books, of course, were written, I think this one in 1959. A long time ago. Uh, Tokyo Express, a little bit earlier than that. But it was the most beautiful, elegant mystery I read last year by a long way. Mm-hmm. This book is a very good book. It's the way that they yeah, introduce the Japanese culture, but they're also looking to take the book and the you know the stories, the sort of uh, golden age mysteries and things. They're looking to take those forward as well. So there's a really dynamic feel about these Japanese books, even though, as I said, this book is sixty odd years old now. Yes. Do you think, Victoria, that, that punters have sufficient disposable income to buy new writers and these classic writers? 
I think as long as they're buying Victoria Selman's books, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then everything's fine. (laughs) But on a serious note, I think it is a big issue. So we're seeing at the moment in the hardback market, for example, I mean, sales are really, really low because disposable income is an issue Mm. and they are expensive. So I don't know if if things are going to change, if if, um, publishers are going to be looking at different formats, perhaps, Um, if there'll be more. I don't know. I I don't know. But it certainly is an issue. I yeah, tend to I think we'll, we'll shelve that for another issue because we'll we'll get back to heads together regularly. And one of the mm-hmm. things is there are some issues in that that I'm seeing. And I think, but I think it's a whole talk, you know. So mm-hmm. perhaps we'll yeah. come back to that and have chat. Yeah. So moving on, Victoria. I was just going to say a book I'm in the middle of and I'm really enjoying, which is uh, Dan Malikin's new book, The Wreckage of Us, which in itself is a beautiful right. title, mm-hmm. and it's just a really fun read. He's um. He's, he's, I'm, I'm in the middle of it, so I can't give you an overview just yet, but I'm really enjoying how it's hanging together, how he's um, weaving in the suspicion, how he's bringing different characters in in a clever way. So you think you know what's going on and then he pulls the rug from under you. And it's a Viper imprint. And I, I just think Miranda's fabulous. You know, if you look at some of the books she chooses, she just has this incredible eye, doesn't she? For, for she's, she's on a roll at the moment, isn't she? She's on a roll. She really is. So it's, um, no, it's, a, it's a great book. Enjoying it. Yeah, crime fiction um, CWA imprint of the year, Viper, as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's right. All right, and here's a question for you both. How about both of you went to a jolly yesterday lunchtime for Stig Album? Yeah. It's very and, jolly, um, isn't it, how, how can you justify this? Hey, what's what's the point? Come on, tell us. <laughs> how can we justify it? Come yes, on. come on. All what's that, it about? Paul, Paul, all that cordon bleu food won't get eaten on by itself. I know. We're just doing a public <laughs> service. And we don't want the wolves to go busted with Victoria. We have no, to. No, it's, you know. We're eating out to help out, Barry. <laughs> but well, at is, least neither it, it, neither of you tried to give me a serious answer. Well, we were we were having Victoria and I were having a conversation with with uh, Liz Dawson, who is the publicist there, and she pointed out that these were not just a quid pro quo in which a review would be guaranteed for a book. Uh, there were a whole reason, a whole lot of reasons. But for me, I said the main reason surely is to make the author feel attention is being paid. They're surrounded by people who they know have possibly players in various areas so it's 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 a good gesture and they're very companionable aren't they victoria they're lovely and it's always so nice to get together isn't it as well and to meet new authors and and just to meet them in that kind of setting is lovely where they yeah it's and have you noticed also that people don't just talk about crime fiction or the author yes we we do gossip of a bit don't we barry yeah which is good (laughs) you know no i mean on a slightly serious note i do find it's a great way if you can meet somebody before you interview them you yeah. get to know them a little bit. It, yes. it means that you're that much more comfortable when you actually settle down. And there's well, certain things well, you pick up exactly that you right. wouldn't so pick for up me, from reading. Oftentimes, mm. an author, and that's when I think I have to have them on the sofa because there's just there's a, even if it isn't that we've talked about their book or whatever else it is, there's a sparkiness to them that I know is just going to lead to a great chat. You think you should so use the phrase it, Victoria like I have to have them on the sofa? Could that be phrased some other way? <laughs> I don't know what you're implying. <laughs> So moving on swiftly here. Um, no, I'm just wondering if you have other <laughs> events lined up because um, I've got an event. Lying, on <laughs> the 6th of March, I should be talking to Chris Lloyd and Jake Lamar in the Swansea Waterstones uh, at 6 p.m. Mm. That that at the moment, honestly, is the only thing I've got lined up. I'm going to have to sort out my festivals pretty soon. But uh, I wonder if you both have something coming up. Well, that will be, before you move on from that, that will be a lively event. Because Chris Lloyd, I did it at Aberystwyth where I saw you, Paul, and he's he's very good value, isn't he? Yes. And Jake, Jake is a great, Jake's a great, superb. good raconteur. So it'll be an easy job for you moderating that one. I would have thought. I have, I have a funny feeling it will be to tell the truth. I'm not going to yeah. tell him that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, what have you got coming up, Victoria? I've got um, I've got something coming up which I suppose one can't really talk about yet. Uh, um, I think it's a meal with an author you may be doing some event with. Should we keep it under wraps? Oh, yes. Um, all right, then. How much are you prepared to tell us, Victoria, about season six of On the Sofa? Oh, I can tell you it's going to be awesome, Paul. We're waiting for a little bit, though, to launch it, aren't we? So we're going to be launching it in March. Because... I already told him it was awesome. I put a piece in the newsletter yesterday. Well, let's say today. it again. Never say it so, too many times. Um, nothing, I think recall... nothing for us. Nothing. No, I'm going to. I've got my look. I've got my um. My oh, spread good. Right. Here. Okay. Here we go. To start telling you. Shame, shame. So I recorded the other day with Nikki French and Ellery Lloyd, um, which was really fascinating because, of course, they're both writing duos, which is something that I find very intriguing as a as an author who writes on my own. How does it work? How do you create one voice out of two? Um, and it was very insightful, and they were just. It was wonderful to chat to them, and I always I always start my interviews off before we switch the recording on saying I have a list of questions but don't worry if we don't get them through them all or we'll just go where it goes and you know what I think I had I read from one question I had written down and the conversation just ran mm -hmm. and it was so natural and spontaneous those are always my very favorite they are the best kind of interviews aren't they they really but are when they and have their own momentum when yeah. they have their own momentum my dog in the background groaning if you've just heard it completely <laughs> Um, who else do I have lined up we're going to have Alex Michaelides on the show Karen Slaughter uh, Linda LaPlante, um, Claire McGowan, we've got. Linda um, LaPlante's about to receive a dagger along with James Lee Burke. Yes, yes, right. I've got, I've got great people lined up. I'm also doing one I think will be really fun. We're just nailing down the dates with um, two, two booksellers talking about what's going to be hot and what's not. Right. Who are the booksellers? Can you tell us? Yeah, I can tell you. So there's Alex Forbes from Four Bears Books, mm -hmm. who's wonderful and always been very supportive of, of my books. And his bookshop is utterly beautiful. It's in Reading. Yeah, it's an independent absolutely. bookshop. And he's he's one of those booksellers who just, I mean, they all love books, don't they? But he he really, really has a passion. I mean, it's just lovely to chat to him. So really looking forward to having him on. And also uh, Richard Naif from Waterstones in Brighton, mm -hmm. who's also been hugely supportive of me. They hosted my um, preview party actually for All Little Liars, which was great fun. Um, and he, so they're both coming on and we're going to talk about titles they're looking forward to and trends that are going to be coming up, trends that are possibly going down. So we will see. It should be good. It should be interesting. Well, you you did mention that. Did you have some titles for 24 that you wanted to just mention now? There's some really great titles coming up. I mean, Abigail Dean, of course, is, is yes. following on Girl A with Day One, which is coming out, I believe, in March. We've got Alex Michaelides, The Fury. There's there are some great ones. I mean, like I mentioned, Dan Malekin already. Um, I always love it when new writers come up. It's always nice, isn't it? To, to sort of, mm. they're always favourites. People who've done well, but then to to see the new ones. <laughs> no, I was going to say there is a few books I am looking forward to this year, though. There's a new Graham Bartlett, and I, I think he does exceptional work. Mike Craven mm. just got the new Mercy Chair, the Mercy Chair, the new um, Poe and Washington. I mean, that's just fantastic, that book, uh, his books in that series. Um, and, uh, well, there's Kelly Garrett, who's got a book called uh, White Women Missing. That won't be interesting. Mm. And Simon Mears back with Vengeance. I'm looking forward to that, but that won't be until June. Yes. You know who else has got an interesting book out, actually, is um, Laura North, Clickbait. Have either of you read that one yet? No, not yet. <laughs> but um, Lauren's book is also, I think it's told purely through that different media. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's an interesting trend, isn't it? Well, as, you, course, as the um, event I did with you and Janice Hallett, so mm. she's bringing back the epistolatory novel, although it's not just letters. Mm. It's all. Yeah, yeah. I think you can say epistolary. 
epistolary that's novel. That's, ne- that's missing a syllable when you so say that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so look, I, one last thing I thought I wanted to finish on. I just thought this was interesting. I came across a, a massive list of the TV programs that are coming up in 2024. And I, I'll mention a couple, but I think it's just there's a couple of issues that come with that as well. And I thought that might be interesting to talk about. But we have one called Sleeper Train, which is coming up with Joe Cole. That's the first time I've seen him back since he did the Len Dayton last year. Mm. The Sympathizer, which is a Vietnamese story. So it's a very different kind of spy story. Um, Clethoi, which is a Welsh one. I had to mention that. But it's got Richard yeah. Harrington. Yeah, I told you, it's on propaganda now. <laughs> um, but no, they, they, the Welsh ones, they're either dark or they're wacky. And they're pretty good at both, to tell the truth, these days. Um, one that interested me was The Day of the Jackal which is written by Ronan Bennett. It'd be interesting to see where they go with that. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Monsieur Spade with Clive Owen in the pub. Yes. So well, it's, it's hard to say that, Andrew, because the Ripley series with Andrew Scott. But I wonder if that, that's going to fall prey to what Hannibal fell prey to, where you can't really take that character and give them an exploit a week. There has yeah, to be an yeah. overarching story. You can't have Tom Ripley having a different adventure yeah. every week, can you? It makes this is the point. I mean, what do we think of this, the rejig of all these classics? Because we've mentioned Jackal. We've mentioned Ripley. There's a new Alex Cross series coming back. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Sexy Beast. Rebus is coming back in a new form. So I just wonder what you think about that. I think there's, um, I don't know if we're seeing it as much in publishing proper, but I think certainly with television, what I'm hearing is that there's um, networks looking for safety. So you can be sure. It yes. feels that way. There's like a, an unwillingness maybe to take a step out off the ledge. Well, interesting that there's a new series also called Darby and Joan. Do you know about this? No. Australian made with Greta Skaki and Brian Brown, you probably remember from years ago. Uh, she's tr- trying to find out what happened to her missing husband. Mm-hmm. The trouble with the show is it is uh, an adventure a week. They kind oh. of turn up, they solve a mystery, and then they move on. Far more interesting is her quest to find out what happened to her husband. Yeah. That's kind of like Peter James keeps yeah. in the background with his books, what happened to the yeah. wife. And yeah. so forth. The show is good, but it does feel you can't really wrap these up in an hour without losing some characterization. It can't breathe. It's not allowed to breathe. Yes. I'm just, I'm just wondering That's how you... With writing, actually, that I've learned over the years as well. So my, I remember my first drafts often, I gallop, I was talking to somebody other at lunch, actually, Barry, um, I gallop through what happens and it's only at the end when i've got the skeleton of the story absolutely right that as you say i let the scenes breathe but you have to because it can't all be about instant 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 because then you don't get the buy-in do you Mm. i just wonder you know i think for instance if you take something like the jackal which is all to do with the uh the attempted assassination of de gaulle well that's Mm. not relevant now so the story's been updated and i'm just Mm. not i'm supposing a way the one thing they'll rely on people going back to the story for is nostalgia but you're not yeah. going to get that in the sense that it can't be that story because that's. But also, gone. don't you have you have to do such surgery? There was a television series in the '60s called The Thin, The Third Man, right? Which was based on the the Carol Reed film. Well, and it was about Harry Lyme. Well, Harry, Harry Lyme is a, a war profiteer and a villain yeah. who dies. So, in order to make a TV series, he had to become a kind of roving detective figure. It wasn't Harry Lyme anymore. So, mm-hmm. I wonder again about Ripley. What you're going to do mm-hmm. to him? And as you just said about that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. There's you another know what aspect. I'm finding very interesting is almost sorry, I keep talking over people, but it's almost behind the scenes of the story. So I recently watched, and I think it was on BBC, but I may be wrong, a spy a spy among friends. Is that what mm-hmm. it was called? Yeah. Um, 
about obviously uh, Kim Philby. And to me, that was almost more interesting than just a, a normal spy story. Because A, there's a real, I mean, I as you know, I love tapping into real events in my books. So there was, I guess there was that element that drew me in. Mm-hmm. But there was the, the story behind the story I find really fascinating as well. I and believe that's, that's really though. well done. I'd urge people to watch that if they get a chance. It's a remarkable. Yeah. It's not quite true. It's it's put together. The the woman character who's uh, who's the sort of the interrogator didn't exist. But essentially, it's about putting those elements of the story together, and it's very interesting. It really is very interesting. It does get to some of the heart of, of what was going on. It was spies. Did you hear, Victoria? That there's a major history of the spy novel being written. Sorry. I miss I miss that. Sorry, it froze. There's a um, history sorry. of the spy novel is being written by somebody. Uh, but the name will come to me, I'm sure. I can't. Is this Burke character? Burke, is it? That's the guy. <laughs> name. So, are you going to Paul? Are you going to cover real life spies like Kim Philby in, yeah. in dramatizations? Or are you going to steer clear of that? Well, no, no, because Kim Philby pops up in fiction all over the place. All the time. I mean, there's a relationship yeah. with his granddaughter for a start, mm. Charlotte. So that'll be part of it. But I want to relate uh, what's going on in the spy novels to those events in real time. I think you can actually relate the spy novel much close, more closely to real world than any other form, if you like, in a sense, because mm-hmm. it pretty it's you know it's such a, a spark between the two. Yes. Well, I know I know you're covering Graham Greene because he was a friend of Kim Philby, yeah. and defended him. Yes, I mean, he, he remained a defender of Kim Philby till the end. Oh, really? Yeah, so you end. remember that famous remark of Forster, C.M. Forster says? He, he adapted that, didn't he? I, I hope I will have the courage to betray my country rather than my friend. And Graham Greene obviously was um, a believer in that. It's a tricky one, isn't it, Victoria? I can see mm. from your expression. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. <laughs> yes, it's a tricky Betrayal one. Betrayal generally, though, the idea of betraying, I mean, it's such a terrible word if you think about it, because you're you're literally killing somebody's trust. They've trusted yeah. you and you've, you've yeah, shot well, them back in their face. Yeah, enough, somebody that, said something the other day that struck me as really interesting, which that in, uh, I know who it was, sorry, it was James Nochte, that in, in sort of supporting somebody and going along with somebody, you're almost automatically betraying somebody else. Yes. And there is betraying a sort of truth going in against, that. There's a difference, isn't there? So taking a side doesn't mean betraying. Betraying is when someone is taking you to, into their confidence and you've stabbed them in the back. That's what it literally means. Yes. Mm. Maybe. I'm going to keep my powder a little dry on this one. I think we need a bit more room to discuss that. But haven't you noticed that what we've just been talking about, surely that's the key difference between crime fiction generally and spy fiction. Mm. Espionage is always about betrayal. Mm. Crime fiction isn't always about betrayal. It often is. But there's always an act of betrayal, surely, in any... Because that's yes, well, I'd say in, in that sense, if you want to talk about action, there's two things. There's betrayal. First of all, of course, it's always about character. People mm. who think they're about action and, and complicated plots, that's not. A good spy novel is about character in the same way. But it's two things. It, it is that betrayal, but it's also the snafu, the screw-up. You know, somewhere along the line, that's what makes it interesting because it's how people deal when it goes wrong and it does go wrong. So there's always that in there as well. But is that not the case in a crime novel as well? That would be the case in a crime novel, yes. But they they kind of go together, you know, the two things sort of um, form a partnership, if you like. I suppose the betrayal, Victoria, is always now in in the domestic noir is a marriage which is built on betrayal. Yes, so that's the obvious one, isn't it? Hard to avoid. Yeah, but it's interesting. It's really, I'm dwelling on it because actually maybe betrayal is in crime as well. I mean, to be able to murder someone, do you... I mean, unless it's a, you have to have a closeness, and therefore it's a betrayal. Yes, 
I suppose you could say that Tom Ripley tends to get close to the people he's going to kill. Tom Ripley does. Yes, it's betrayal. But yeah. it's, not the same, it's not the same kind of betrayal because he's not emotionally invested in the people he kills. And, and you've got the concept of betrayal in terms of betraying society and things like that that crop up in it as well. And yeah. it's always got to be betrayal. Murder can happen without betrayal. And so and you know, not in a crime well, novel, it's not necessary. Well, by committing an evil act, are you killing part of yourself, I suppose? Are you betraying mm -hmm. your, who you are? Yeah, I think, well, that's one of the crucial questions in any kind of fiction, isn't it? It's not so much what you do to the other person when you do something. It's also what does that do to you? And that is, that's a truly fascinating novel. element. Because you innocence. Is that the one I'm thinking, Scott? I mean, that's ultimately about that, isn't it? How he almost murders himself by murdering his wife. Mm. Good point. Yeah. So one other small point on, on the idea of television, and it's this one, and it's what you brought up, Barry, this morning when I mentioned it, and it's about all the recommissioning. Now, mm. you know, we all like to see our favourite shows, but we are talking about stuff that's coming back, the responders coming back, Blue Lights, the Northern Irish one, Dalgleish, Vera, Death in Paradise, and two versions of that. The Tourist, Silent Witness, Grantchester, Trigger Point, The Bay, they're all coming back. Is, is it a bit, is it what you said, Victoria, is that samey stuff, but it's because the television companies just like safe? Well, isn't also the problem with something like Grantchester, where by now you've lost the original cast yes. member, one of them. <laughs> so you have to replicate that with a sympathetic, crime-solving man of the cloth. And you think, mm, maybe it should have ended... When yeah, I, I thought the heart went out when when Norton left in the first place. Yes, there's often that point, isn't there, in a series where it's like end it now, but actually you don't because it's still making money, so you just keep going. A betrayal of the viewer, you could say. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> well, I think that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Well, this month, let me say this month. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye from me, and bye from us. Yes, the two Ronnies. The two Ronnies. <laughs> it always feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs>